book of Acts chapter 11. We're going to begin with verse 19. The translator heading reads, the church in Antioch. And, uh, and as you find your place, let me just say how grateful I am uh, this morning for the privilege of serving you by preaching God's word to you. I've been out of the pulpit for a few months actually a little longer than has been our regular practice at the end of the summer, just landed that way, uh, and it was enjoyable. I hope you enjoyed hearing from so many people preaching. But I've been out of the pulpit so long that I'm returning, listen, with, uh, uh, I've been to the doctor, stronger, a stronger prescription so I can read the text. I actually went out and bought myself, they sell these, and older people, listen up, they sell an English Standard Version on Crossway with with the, the, uh, the version is called giant text. <laughs> so when I'm reading the text, it's like, and then they, and <laughs> I gotta keep flipping. I would read in my office, I'm like, this is exhausting. <laughs> uh, I, and I actually, I, I printed in larger print in my notes. I mean, I'm trying really hard to keep up with you guys. I'm getting old, but, but again, I'm like, I don't know how many pages is 40 to 70 minutes, no, I'm joking. So uh, we're gonna explore here how long a sermon is when it is whatever number of pages I've printed out this time. It, the, the print is much bigger. I hope it serves you as much as it serves me. Well, we're, we're returning to our study through the book of Acts. And by the way, heads up, one more thing. So, something, something to look forward by about the middle of October, we're gonna take yet again another brief break from Acts in order to study the book of Galatians, the letter to the Galatians. And this is really cool, listen, we're inserting the letter to the Galatians right about the same time in the storyline of Acts when Galatians would have been written and delivered and published to the church. So you might, you might say we're, we're going to pause the book of Acts in order to read the subtext, what's, what's really going on, right? Uh, in real time under the surface as Luke is recording for us the history of the early church. That's coming up in October, can't wait, but for now we re-enter what has been called the most action-packed book in the New Testament, an introduction to the, and, 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 and an introduction to the first church established outside the four walls of Jerusalem. Here it is, Antioch. Look with me, chapter 11, beginning with verse 19, I'll read, then pray, follow along. Now those who were scattered, verse 19, because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews, verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Verse 22, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. <laughs> and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. 
Verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them was named Agabus. One of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. The very words of God, would you join me in a brief prayer to understand. Father, your words, they're like food. They nourish us. We need them. They provide life. They satisfy our cravings. And so we pray you would feed us, speak to us, teach us, change us, convince us, save us this morning. Cause this passage to change the way we live and fellowship today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you might say, as I wasn't preaching, one of the things that I discovered while I uh, had a break out of the pulpit was a story in my hometown newspaper back in Allentown, Pennsylvania, okay? I'm a, I'm a fourth-gen Ukrainian immigrant, and there is a treasure trove I discovered of family history hidden in the pages of our local newspaper. You can't find it online. You've got to go into their database, and you can find these articles and these stories. And one particular story had been lost. It had been lost. I never heard about it. My father had never heard about it. Nobody I knew, not all my family that I asked, nobody had ever heard about it. It was my grandfather Terbetsky, okay? Grandpa Terbetsky, we called him Pop-Up. Pop-Up Terbetsky, who was one of the best friends, my best friends when I was growing up, grew up across the street from him. Well, listen, early in his life, I discovered after World War II, this was in the paper, he purchased a saloon, <laughs> a bar. In fact, it was a, called a, a tavern, which back then I learned from my father was a way to get around the liquor laws and be able to serve alcohol in the town by having a couple of rooms upstairs that were theoretically for rent by the night. So he had a tavern. My grandfather opened Terry's Tavern. That was his nickname, Terry's Tavern. And on June 23, 1946, all right, the headline in the paper read, Hotel Men relieved of $600 by two robbers. This is, if you are Trebetsky, you're like, what? Right? Here's the, the, the article reported that picking a time when most of the residents of the community, my little town at the time, were watching the firemen's parade, 1946, right? Two men, one of them armed, held up the proprietor of Terry's Tavern and fled with $600. It's about 10 grand today. Of which I had, first question I had for my dad is, do you think he was doing something illegal that had 10 grand like in his pocket? Hope not. Harry Terbetsky, that's my grandfather, the owner was alone in the bar room when the two men entered shortly before 3 p.m. while one of them kept watch in a hallway leading to a back alley. And I know this back alley. The other man made the proprietor remove all the money from the cash register. The article said this amounted to $200. But, the article goes on to say, not satisfied, the robber wagged the gun at Terbetsky and demanded that he dig into his pocket and get out the rest of his money. And my grandfather reported to the police officers what they said. They said, we know you have a lot of money in your pocket, so fork it over. <laughs> my pocket yielded another $400, the article said. And then afterwards, 
being a car guy, I really enjoyed the, the detail. My grandfather was a car guy too. It said, afterwards, the robbers ran out the hallway to the back alley and fled in a black Plymouth sedan. <laughs> Never to be seen again as far as we know. This is the first time we're hearing it, even though we were really close to Harry Turbetsky, my grandfather. Listen, as I read that article, and I thought back to my grandfather, a wave of emotions came over me. Have you ever experienced this? Like there was a delight, a little bit of a delight in knowing just a little bit about this man that I so loved and have so much affection for. I was surprised. I was so excited to tell everybody. Does anybody else know this? Surprised that no one had known about this. I was overwhelmed as I got a little more details on how much I missed him. That was a dangerous one. Just a lot of tears. But then there was also a gratefulness. A gratefulness for all the things he had done and endured. Start in a tavern to provide for his family, which became my family. And all the other businesses he began later, which is why the newspaper is full of interesting stories about him and my father in this little town. And I, it just dawned on me that these were the little things that he had done, like being robbed at gunpoint, that I might enjoy the rights and privileges of being a Turbetsky. Have you ever felt that way? I know some of you have, others of you don't even know your father, but but that feeling of wonder and connection and pride and understanding when you know a little bit more about your past, as if, as if, and it's true, by knowing something about your history, you understand a little bit about yourself and your place in this world. It's been said, actually by the guy who uh, wrote all the books of the Jurassic Park movies were based off of, I know you're a big fan, he, he, he said, he wrote in one of his books, if you, do, you don't know history, then you don't know anything. And this is what he said. You're like a leaf that doesn't know it's part of a tree. You're like a leaf that doesn't know it's part of a tree. And that, that is a big part of the reason why Luke, the author of this book, includes this little, little blurb, little announcement in the paper about this little church starting in Antioch. He wants us to know. Actually, God himself wants us to know. He doesn't want this part of our story, our history, to be lost, that we are part of the tree. We're not just a leaf waving out there, disconnected. We aren't something new or novel or modern. We, we don't stand alone. We are part of something much bigger than ourselves and our time and generation. The roots of this church, Sovereign Grace Church, go way, way, way back. And if we familiarize ourselves with the details, just, just like with my grandfather and the day he was robbed at gunpoint inside Terry's Tavern as a firefighter parade was occurring, we not only get to delight in the details of all that God has already accomplished and how he did it, but, listen, but we are afforded a little more insight into what he's doing today and all of our quirks and features as one more little local church 
We're, we're part of a tree, a family tree. And listen, this is what you're going to see this morning. The resemblance, the resemblance is uncanny. It's delighting. It was so delightful to see this. Look, look with me. I, I want to show you. I'm going to show you five brief observations. Don't worry. F- brief observations, five of them. And then I want to make an appeal that God do the same thing among us, that we do what Barnabas encouraged that ch- church to do, which is to be steadfast in purpose. So look with me, okay? Five brief observations. Number one, the story of Ant- the Antioch church is the story of ordinary people. Ordinary people. Number one, ordinary people. Look with me. Verse 19. Luke writes, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, and if you stop right there, listen, Stephen, if you recall back chapter 7, Stephen was a deacon who was stoned. He's the first martyr of the church because of his confession of faith. That's what martyr means, witness. He was stoned because of his confession of faith before the religious leaders of the time. The church in Jerusalem, just before our text here, has been growing like wildfire. And the city, this Jewish city, Jerusalem, was gripped by the news of the resurrection of Jesus. And this agitated the establishment. It angered them. And they had to stop it. So they executed one of the leaders. And persecution breaks out. And that's why we read in verse 19, some fled for their very lives. That's what's happening here. Look again verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, the first martyr, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. And listen, that makes sense too, because at this point very early on, the movement is very overwhelmingly Jewish. Jesus was the promised, long-awaited Jewish Messiah, and that's their understanding. And so they're sharing it with the Jews, which already you're starting to say, like, well, you're running for your lives because you're talking about Jesus. Why are you sharing with anybody? Well, if we're going to share with anybody, let's just share with the people we know best, right? Verse 20, but there were some of them <laughs> there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, listen, this is phenomenal. Surprise, surprise. The first missionaries, the first evangelists, the first ones who were sent out crossing the line, right, going into battle, going crossing party lines uh, uh, socially, racially, you might say even theologically, they're breaking down barriers. They were who? Who were these first men, these missionaries? It's right there in the text. This is what's so phenomenal. Well, this is what we got in the newspaper, so to speak. But there were some of them. Oh. <laughs> who started it? Not the apostles. Not this, not this time. Not, not some famous church leader. Not Barnabas, not Paul, not Peter. Just some of them. Or You might say, some people did it. That's what we got. Ordinary, anonymous, no-name people. They shared. That's what we learned. How did this happen? How, how is this first church being established outside of Jerusalem? They sh- some, some people, some, somebody, somewhere, they shared the good news of peace with God on account of the life and death of Jesus Christ to all who would trust in him as a substitute, forgiveness, and life. Some people, they'll cut names, started to share the gospel with some other people, we don't get their names either, who really, at this point, what's going on here is they don't fit in, they don't fit the mold, they're probably the unlikely ones, probably the ones you would say, oh, I'm going to pass on that one and look for someone 
more likely to believe in Jesus. <laughs> These some people shared with other people who were born again by great numbers. And none of their names and dates are recorded for us in the Bible or elsewhere, all lost in the halls of history until the last day when they're all read off the rolls again. Why? Because that's how the church works. That's how the church works. It's counterintuitive. Like, we're not like this academy of celebrities, right? Look at all these people at Sovereign Grace Church of Orange. You want to find the important role movers and shakers, even spiritually speaking, in our community, come here. No, listen, the, the scale isn't like tipped in the church towards an elite few, you know, the, 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 the Navy SEALs of, of, of the church with extraordinary gifting and skills. No, the church is an army of soldiers, overwhelmingly similar in most and each and every kind of way, strengths and weaknesses. We're all kind of the same. That's, but that's how the ball gets down the field. That's what, we saw it here right at the beginning. It's still a reality today. Regular people like you and me who never make it onto the stage, never write a book. There's no documentary going to be written about us, we hope, right? <laughs> we never get our names in lights. Never even are remembered much past our lifetime. Oh Lord, if the Lord tarries and our church, this church prospers and we're, we truly were and are the next 100-year church in Old Town Orange. They ain't going to remember us. Not going to remember us. And the women's club's not going to put a list, let us put up a list of previous members on the wall. You and I, listen, you and I are the some people. We're the some people, and let me tell you, the resemblance is uncanny. It's right on our website. I love this. This is what's such a delight to see this. It's like discovering an old story in a newspaper you didn't know about your family and finding out, ah, I'm like my grandfather. <laughs> well, on the website, it describes us for someone, and you may have stumbled on this website, and it's how you found us here, and the rest of the world apparently didn't like what was written and went somewhere else. Uh, listen, it says, God describing us, God uses, I think and Pastor Dustin wrote this. This is just fabulous. God uses our ordinary efforts for his extraordinary purposes. We're not trying to be the next best thing. We're simply doing what Christians have done for the last 2,000 years. We worship together. We pray together. We grow together. We serve God together. You would think we wrote that this week, like, hey, we just learned from this sermon. We should put that on our website. That, that's been us for years. Ordinary. Some people. That God might get the glory. Second observation. Supernatural power. Listen, the story of the Antioch church is the story of supernatural power. Verse 21, look with me. Luke writes, and the hand of the Lord was with them, 
and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. That's the explanation as to why this church existed in the first place, why there was any two people that could stick together for any length of time. The hand of the Lord was with them. It wasn't that they had a great preacher or leader or skit or children's ministry. They didn't have a great youth ministry. I'm assuming they didn't have a good youth ministry at this point. They're running for their lives. Why would they take their teens and say, hey, why don't we go like do outreach in the circle? They'd be put into handcuffs and taken back to Jerusalem. There's no youth ministry. Their music. Maybe it was good. I don't know. Maybe it was good. But I don't think it was that great. They, had, they hadn't perfected a liturgy yet and said, this is the way churches should worship when they gather together. They, they didn't have a website. They hadn't perfected their advertising just yet. They're going to go underground. Most people are just talking to the other people that are like them that they think are maybe likely converts. No, the reason they were prospering wasn't that they had a lot of money or a nice building or a resource or had a, had a pipeline of men and women who are being trained theologically or even trained to be pastors in a seminary they didn't even have a good reputation listen no they're on the la- they're they're on the run they grew and people were saved by the boatloads because the hand of the lord was upon them that's like a, I mean, that's kind of like a lame you know, leadership guide to planting and establishing a church. Step one, pray that the, Lord, the hand of the Lord is upon you. There you go. But that, but that today, resemblance is uncanny. That's the engine behind any progress we experience. It's supernatural. It's not because some of you are good at administration and some of you are really good at making chili and some of you can get these chairs. We were laughing in small group. We have people in our church who are really good at getting these chairs straight and then you mess them up and they hold, they, they keep it. And then when you go, they quick pack them up and don't look at them anymore and then try to get them straight and in line real nice and neat again the next week. Listen, any progress we experience any prosperity and i'm talking about money we say this when you join the church to we labor for the prosperity of the church we're not talking about money we're talking about fruit the fruit of the ministry of this church the fruit of the gospel at work among us and listen that's why i want people to walk into this room and say god is in this place god is with these people not cool building. <laughs> really love the graphics. Why are you going to start, when, when are you going to start doing X, Y, and Z ministry? Not, not that there's anything wrong with any of those things, but listen, but you can do all those things and more. You can do them better than everybody else in Orange County. And let me tell you, pretty much across the board, they're doing it better than we can do it. We might as well give up if that's our goal and that's what we're working for. Join the masses and do it better. <laughs> We could do all of it, and we could do all of it for the right reason, and yet see no results. No results. Man, I think back to Pastor Mike's on sabbatical. It's been a long decade. He's, he's resting. No, he always takes a month off every year. We relieve him of all his duties. Pastor Mike said, but, but in the beginning, every week, Mike and I would meet. We met at a Denny's down in Tustin. Then we were meeting in a diner over here that's now, I don't know, like Woody's or something like that. We'd meet there every week, and it was like, okay, on the agenda, number one, 
no way we're going to be here for another week. <laughs> like, we were just amazed. There was, there was no plan other than, other than, may, oh, let us pray. May the, Lord, the hand of the Lord be with us, because if he isn't with us, there's no us. This is so true of us. And listen, myself, your pastors, we're impressed. Others might not be impressed. Now, and we're not impressed with you, you, so to speak. We're impressed by the grace of God that is at work in you. Who is doing and accomplishing and saving and changing and empowering you so that today I can say truly all of this is, is good and healthy and the Lord is with us truly? I can say it's not on account of anything I'm doing or you. God's hand is upon us. And we are totally and utterly dependent again today, week after week, month after month, for anything good to happen tomorrow. May God's hand be upon us. It has. The, the resemblance is uncanny. Observation number three. Number three, leadership. Listen, leadership. The story of Ant the Antioch Church is a story of leadership. Verse 22, look again. The report of this came to the ears, isn't that wonderful? Ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. If you stop right there, what do you do when you hear something good's going on? You go and check it out for yourself, right? So they hear it. They hear what's happening in verse 23. Barnabas heads to Antioch. When Barnabas came and saw the grace of God, I love this. He was glad. And oh, maybe this, just that little detail there. When we see the grace of God at work outside of, we'll say, our home and our people, our church, I think maybe quick and overwhelmingly be glad, joyful that God is at work. He said he was glad. And he exhorted them to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man. He's the only guy called good in Acts. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. What, so listen, what do leaders do? They rush to the scene and cheer on the saints, doing everything they can to equip and encourage and care for and protect the some people. And some peoples who by the power of God and in particular the power of the Holy Spirit, which is what we were learning this week at the uh, uh, seminar on Monday, the powerless word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they are, they are the some peoples are doing the work of ministry. <laughs> Listen, don't make the mistake that, that is so often repeated. I'm prone to it. This is what in particular is so helpful about this passage. Some of the details. Don't make the mistake that thinking that because so much is... Is, is happening and occurring and being accomplished among us, the some peoples, rather than the leaders, the pastors, the deacons, the small group leaders, the ministry leaders, the people that are in charge of the administration of this service, don't assume that because so much of what's going on, all the good stuff, the grace of God is happening one-to-one, member-to-member, -member, among the some peoples, the congregation, that we don't need any leaders. <coughs> and that we don't need... 
leadership in general. Don't make that mistake. Barnabas is sent to check out what is going on. And true to his nickname, son of encouragement, this guy has got a gift to encourage people so much that he has a nickname. Barnabas shows up, takes a leadership role, and what does he do? He encourages them in what they're doing. He affirms what's happening there and exhorts this new Antioch church full of some peoples that we don't have their names to keep doing what you are doing. I love that. It's right there in the text. Here's his exhortation. Uh, Well, his exhortation is uh, exhorted them, real verse 23, all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And that's going to be my exhortation as well. And, and what's the result of Barnabas coming and providing a little leadership? It's right there, end of verse 24. And a great many people were added to the Lord after. after before. And then Barnabas encourages and exhorts. And after Barnabas arrived and did his thing as a leader, they grew and prospered all the more. And if that's not enough, what does Barnabas do next? Verse 25. So Barnabas t- went to... Tarsus, another city, to look for Saul. And when he had found him, Saul, who goes by another name as well, Paul, Paul the Apostle, he brought Saul to Antioch for a whole year, it says. They met with the church and taught a great many people. You catch it? It is a big, great many people. And if you stop right there, talk about what the, talk about what the Antioch church needed in that moment while God's hand was upon the some people's. And think about how wise, and I would say humble, and even courageous their leader Barnabas at the moment was. He, first, he left them. It's a good thing going on. Don't mess with anything. Don't change anything, right? He's there. Stay. Enjoy. Don't, don't rock the boat, right? But he left them, and then he went and found Saul, Paul, who was the very man. Just can think about this. He, he said, this is really great. You keep doing what you're doing. I'm going to go get the guy who started and oversaw the persecution that brought all of you nobodies here to Antioch in the first place. <laughs> Barnabas was like, I know what will help these guys. This is what leaders do, right? Yeah, I, this is what I do. I know what will help them. I'll go get the guy who threw your relatives in jail and made, the, made you all run for your lives. You're going to love him. His name's Saul. We, you know, we, we don't really even know why. I mean, I would have thought, he, let me go get Peter. Or whatever. And Saul's the only one available. Apparently, he couldn't find anybody. I don't know. They don't tell us why Barnabas thought they needed Paul or why Barnabas didn't just stay and lead and teach by himself. But I can say that This man named Barnabas, the son of encouragement, was a man of great faith and wanted nothing more. He must have wanted nothing more than what the Lord had for this church. And so he gave them everything he had and more, including the man he believed would serve him better than better than himself. Don't don't underestimate the blessing of having good men who are willing to lead. Not just pastors, but small group leaders, ministry leaders, our deacons, even our partners 
and sister churches throughout the world. If you ever wonder why, so often we try to find other pastors to come and, to, and I say, I'm so glad you can meet them. I want, I want you to hear from them. It's, it's not because we're looking for a break. Like, oh, the, oh, he'll preach for us this week. It's more work when they come into town. Right, Melissa Goins, who works for the church? It's more work. <laughs> and, and it's not because of California and the weather. Let me tell you, they all like, I'm not sure I should go to California. You know, whatever, all these guys from other places. <clears throat> now all the rumors they've heard about us and our state. No, no, I bring them because we think, oh, this is what we need. And what an encouragement to meet other other people from other contexts who love Jesus just like us, have the same kind of DNA. You notice we're not trying. If you're wondering, like, we don't bring people in that you're like, oh my goodness, like, this guy's famous. We're not bringing any of them in. And it's not because we couldn't find them, but it's because they're the ones we believe are best, in particular, their connection to us. Oh, we need leadership, and it's here. And I'm so grateful. Observation number four. I'm going quickly now. Evangelism. Listen, evangelism. Put it in the category. This has been, been a highlight of this year, us together, uh, as we have worked on this among us. But listen, the story of the Antioch church is the story of evangelism. End of verse 26. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. You've already caught it that they've been out sharing. That some people have been telling other people about something and they're all joining the crowd. But listen, in particular, I want to highlight, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. <laughs> and let's be clear, that wasn't a good name. <laughs> it wasn't like, hey, they gave us a good name. We were called, we, the, listen, the church didn't call themselves Christians. They referred to themselves as disciples, followers of the way, saints. This was a derogatory term. This is where the city recognized that these people are different than all the other peoples, in particular the Jews and the Gentiles. We now have a third category, and as one author put it, what you're reading here is the rise of Christians, it's a, of the Christians. Like, th the first time where they're saying, whoa, wait a second. Out in the wild, there's some new people group. That's why Antioch is often called the, the cradle of Christianity. Because this is the first detailed account of evangelism by ordinary disciples. Prior to this, we got all these leaders and apostles and everybody running around and deacons running around proclaiming the gospel and leading the church. But here we find that some people took it upon themselves to share about the most important person, Jesus. These Hellenists that they were, they were talking to, they, these, were, these were the Greek-speaking Gentiles among them. And this community, listen, one scholar writes, this community made such an impact on the city of Antioch that there was a need to identify them as a distinct group. Why? It wasn't because like, they were more prosperous, good-looking, whatever. It was. it was because they were talking about something, believing about something, gathered together about something, and they needed to identify them as a distinct group. And then he writes, the title Christians recognizes the fact that they were a new phenomenon comprising Jews and Gentiles together. This is the fully, first fully integrated church. There's no separation 
no barriers. In Antioch, the city looked around and they heard what they were saying and the testimonies they were speaking and the way they were living and said, these must be like Christ. They must belong to the Messiah. They're Christian. And the reason they're Christian, and this is where we bear an uncanny resemblance, is because they were, you might say, fully integrated, very good evangelistic neighbors. They lived in Antioch. And they didn't just talk to the other Antioch Christians. They talked to everybody. They frequented their stores. They worked alongside them. They were speaking about the Lord and talking about it and not assuming that anybody would be offended. They, they knew they'd be offended, that anybody would be excited about this. No, they, they were on the run. They were immigrants in Antioch. But they spoke it because they loved their neighbors. And I love this on our website. Didn't write it this week, but here it is. It's been on our website for at least a year or something like that. Says, talking about us being joyful, generous, ordinary neighbors, our culture. God has placed us in a neighborhood, Old Town Orange, and you can think more broadly, Orange County. God has placed us in a neighborhood and called us to be good neighbors like the Antioch Christians. We feel a responsibility for those outside our church, and we do, and you do. We seek to befriend them, our neighbors. We show them mercy when needs arise, and you do that, some of you, the people, the some peoples. And we invite them to join us in trusting and following Jesus. We're not just here for social services, not just here for mercy ministries, we're not just here to be good citizens and hope and pray for the prosperity of Old Town Orange. No, we're here, we're here to love them and to know them and befriend them and show them mercy and be the hands and feet of our Savior as He works among the city and whenever possible to invite them to get in on what we have gotten in on, which is very simple must stop living for myself and trying for myself and give myself wholly to him, Jesus. The resemblance again, uncanny. You are known in this community. Even if you don't live in Old Town Orange, they know about you. <clears throat> Final observation, generosity. Generosity. The story of the Antioch church is the story of generosity. Verse 27, look with me. You probably got all kinds of questions about this. Maybe we'll put something on the church email blog subscription. You can sign up for that, get that, or go on our website. But, uh, and, and we're going to bump into this guy again later, and that's when we'll be able to dive a little more into what he's been doing. But watch what happens. So you got people who had been fleeing for their lives. They're in Antioch, which is like the third city. I heard someone say it's kind of like Chicago. There's L.A. and New York, but then there was Chicago. That's Antioch. They're a big city. They're important. They're a little bit depraved, a lot depraved. But they're there, and this is what it says. Now in these days, verse 27, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. They're, they're following the, the party, right? And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. That little editorial note there by Luke is a helpful thing to say. Like, oh, this really happened. So the prophecy came. You're going to see the response. 
And then down the road, it ha- it's actually happening, right? Verse 29, so the disciples determined, right? This is like the initial, the early on, what's the uh, thing? Oh, I can't remember. The website where you can give GoFundMe. This is, my, this is your first GoFundMe fund. So the disciples set up a GoFund account. Every one of them, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Some of them they probably knew. Some of them they're worried probably were persecuting them when they left, and now they have joined the tribe. Verse 30, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And we're going to find that later. We're going to read about that. Listen, their first impulse, and we're going to catch it again when Antioch comes up in a couple chapters again, is to give, to give, to give. They're going to send Paul their best. They're going to send Barnabas. They're going to send all their money. They're, they're going to help people they don't know. They're going to contribute to a cause. They're going to contribute, not, not just their finances. We're going to find out they're leaders, right? We're going to find out that they're giving their lives to one another of their time when it's inconvenient or when you'd rather be at home sitting on your couch or, or taking a nap, but instead let's spend some time and let's host some of our friends and let's encourage one another and build our lives in one another. They're going to share their actual homes with one another in hospitality. They're going to serve one another. And if you think setting up here is hard, imagine it. Imagine when you're fleeing from persecution trying to figure out how to set up a service. Listen, these are brothers and sisters who were sacrificial They didn't have your names in mind either. They were just some people who because of someone, Jesus, were hoping that other people would enjoy what they're enjoying. And if it meant sending sending money and doing without something that they had or could have personally, they'd do it. If it meant time, affections, whatever it was, they were going to give it that other people would enjoy what these some people were enjoying. And again, (laughs) you are joyful, generous, ordinary neighbors. We didn't make that up and then say like, let's be like that. No, that's actually because the hand of the Lord is upon you. It's who you are. (laughs) And so the leaders of this church, we're, we're simply trying to steward that protect that, encourage you in that, affirm you in that, and exhort you to keep going in the same direction. That's my appeal. That's my appeal. Would you keep doing what you've been doing since the very beginning here? As the Barnabas said, middle of verse 23, I exhort you to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Would you pray with me? And then we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper. Father, would you give us the grace, would you give us the the supernatural power that comes from your, your activity in our lives and in us, exhibited through us. Lord, would it, would it all result in more people, other people enjoying Would us, we, the some people, know, love, celebrate. Father, Father, may we be people who 
who generously give away our lives, that others would join us in worshiping your Son and trusting him for the forgiveness of our sins, for, for eternal life. Oh, Lord, do that, we pray. Help us to be faithful and steadfast in this purpose, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.